Welcome to Casting Conscience, a podcast by Conscience and Residency of 501c3, helping you uh, make decisions based on your conscience in your medical training. You're not crazy and you're not alone. I'm your host, Kara Buskmiller, and today I'm joined by Dr. Ashley Womack, an OBGYN in the Dallas-Fort Worth area who makes choices based on her conscience-related convictions. Today we'll be speaking with Dr. Womack about her path through med school, through residency, and now into where she now works. Pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Womack. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. I think she and I are going to drop the formalities pretty quickly. (laughs) because we know each other from a long time ago. Ashley and I went to high school together and then both went to different colleges in California, both went to different med schools back in Texas, and I've just been chasing her around uh, basically since (laughs) we were in high school. Yeah, 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 vice versa, whatever. We've been chasing each other, big game of tag. I'm so pleased to have you on for our listeners because they are in the trenches in the early parts of the life that you have now lived through. I mean, not like you've lived through your life all done, but you you have walked the hard part of the journey that they're just the beginning of. So I think it's really great to have your perspective on for them. Uh, so just to get us started, tell me about your path to med school. What made you want to be in med school, be a doctor, and how did you get there? Sure. Yeah. So thanks for having me. This is such a great podcast. Um, you do such great work helping people get to through med school. And it, it is a hard journey, but it's totally doable. So to your question, how did I get to med school? So I would say I knew I wanted to be a doctor in high school. I think I had inklings. We went to a school that emphasized service, very service oriented. And so that along with, and this is everyone's answer to med school, but that along with a love of science and really drew me to um, medical school. So for me, it really wasn't a hard decision. I kind of knew coming into college that I wanted to go to medical school. Yeah, it's. A, I think for the listeners who haven't written their personal statement for med school yet, it is a bit of a meme or a, a, <laughs> maybe a stereotype that yes. every personal statement for med school is like, I like science and I like to help people. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> but it's okay to write that because if that's true, that's true. Just put your own personal spin on it. That's Make right. it so that you don't look like every other cookie cutter applicant who might just be digging that up from the internet and putting it through That's right. Tell it in story form. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Tell it in story form. Tell it a little bit individually. Mm -hmm. Tell it to make them know that you are an individual who can communicate well about yourself, which is so much a part of this journey, actually. The journey that particularly brings you as a conscience conscious uh, physician. So so you knew you wanted to go to med school. Was it on your radar that this was going to be tricky as a Catholic? No, you are a Catholic, right? Could you yes. clarify for our listeners what are what are your beliefs regarding the practices in OBGYN? Just so we know for for the rest of the conversation. Yes. Okay. So I yes, born and raised Catholic, and I would say I wasn't aware that it was what the issues would be going into medicine mm-hmm. until later in college because. Mm. That's when I really was more formed in my conscience and started realizing the things that I would have to say yes and no to and and then starting to apply that as I was going to like applying to medical schools and seeing what that would look like. It happened a little later in college. But so, yeah, as a Catholic, so I don't do or refer for abortions, don't do sterilizations, don't do prescribed contraceptions, IUD, all of that. So Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. all in my package. All in the package. (laughs) That's so interesting. So you were raised Catholic. And you had this concept of formation of your conscience, Mm -hmm. but you weren't quite sure what all of these sort of switches would be like when you were going into med school at that stage. I think I, I, so I knew them going into medical school. Oh, sorry. You said in college. In college is where Mm -hmm. I really got formation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I went to California and became more Catholic. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, 
can we talk about this concept of formation of your conscience for a little bit? I think a lot of people have this idea that conscience is kind of your internal sense of revulsion, right? Your internal sense of like, ick, I don't like that idea. Murder, bad, not good. Mm -hmm. I don't want that for my family or me or anybody. Mm -hmm. So bad, so gross that people do that. But the idea that you can form your conscience is something that like you can modify. It's not quite a sense of ick. It's a decision or a muscle that you can exercise. You explain that? I don't know if I'm explaining it well. Yeah, no, that's right. I think there are certain things that have that obvious guttural response. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, there's something, something not right about that decision there. And I think, but at times... I think our society has, from the culture that we've formed, made us a little bit numb to some of that guttural response to certain things. And so it's really, I think, taking a step back from the influences and seeing objectively what is the right and wrong. But you're right, when there is a guttural response, I mean, we should listen to it. There are some things that aren't instinctively revolting. And so it really takes just thought formation, learning, reading to form how you think about those things with proper set of principles, I would say. Mm-hmm. I think that's something to be really proud of, to, to do the work of forming your conscience. It's really the work of someone who is intentional and who isn't just like an instinctive being. So I, I think for the listeners, that's something to think about. Where are you at with your conscience? Is your conscience strong? Have you done that those exercises that Dr. Womack has been through, You know, not just understanding what somebody else said about the decisions or understanding what you yourself are like happy and comfortable with, but what ought we to do? Um, yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, I was joking about becoming more Catholic after mm-hmm. going to California, but it actually did really refine me because when I went there, you know, all of a sudden I'm hearing these people, like roommates or classmates saying, well, of course you can have an abortion at this stage or whatever. And and I couldn't articulate, you know, I had that, like you said, the guttural, like, well, no, what, you think you that? But I couldn't articulate arguments why. Or, and so I think that that... No, yeah, you think that going to California... And being challenged yes. prompted you to, to do that work of figuring yes, out what's exa- right and wrong. Yes, so, so learning how to articulate the things that you believe mm-hmm. and forming your conscience mm-hmm. is super important, not only for your own formation, but then that will be applicable to when you're working with others. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's really, it's a healthy way a lot of people learn to form their consciences by being challenged. I'm a, I'm a bit of a codfish, so I, I didn't go into an environment yeah. like you did, uh, where, where you'd be challenged very naturally. I was like, no, 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 let me go to the least challenging environment possible. <laughs> That's what, well, I don't know what it was, but we, we took different paths all the way through. I think I went to a, a much less controversial path mm-hmm. compared to yourself. So I'm, I'm eager to hear more about things. So once you were, you were in med school, mm-hmm. how was your med school experience was it pretty smooth going through yeah medical school I mean of course at the time it feels cumbersome and 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 tough to get through certain scenarios but it really wasn't wasn't too bad in retrospect Mm -hmm. I mean you know the first two years at that time is two years of of a classroom didactics and so then you're just learning and you know learning the science of it of medicine and then as you get into your clinicals in the third year that's really when the rubber hits the road Mm -hmm. and so as a medical student what can you do what can't you do you're not ultimately responsible for patients. You're not doing a lot of the procedures or prescribing any medications. So you're one layer removed from the culpability of things, but you know, having to realize what, what are your limits as a medical student? Mm-hmm. I definitely had to do that, like kind of flex those muscles a little bit, but it, I would say, you know, now having gone through residency, it certainly wasn't as hard as the next step. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you make certain decisions about, you know, what you would observe or what you would step out of the room for or what you, what did you say to faculty when you were, you know, if there was an IUD insertion on the schedule, for example, or if there was an abortion yeah. happening? Right. So I think in medical school, 
the hardest rotation was OBGYN mm-hmm. for that for these things that we're talking about. And for I think the hardest thing was like tubal ligations mm-hmm. were the ones that med students would most likely to be in on. And so for that, I would just, you know, before I even started my rotation, I remember I went to the clerkship director who was fortunately, I mean, very, very kind and understanding and, and had, there were other students before me who had also voiced their concern with doing this. And so that helps me. So if you're the one forging the way on this Mm -hmm. in your institution, you are making a huge world of a difference for the next person who comes along. So I'm very grateful for those people before me. But so she has already was familiar with students who didn't want to do abortions, wow. sterilizations, contraception. So I said, you know, I'm Catholic. I don't want to do these things. And so she just said, okay, well, that's okay. Whenever a C-section comes up and there's a tubal, you just tell them that before the C-section mm-hmm. starts. And then you step away from the table mm-hmm. when that time comes. And I said, okay, that sounds great. And so um, it was it, it was awkward because, yeah, you can tell the faculty that. Mm-hmm. But in the time, you're working with the residents. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's personalities. Yep. And so there was definitely some residents who I could tell it was like, okay, I'm, I'm going down this on the list of okay. people that you like. Because, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. But, you know, I mean, it's your conscience. So what are you going to do? Right, right. Their conscience is more important than someone else's opinion of you right. as a person. Or as, you know, they, they're making an opinion of a worldview and mm-hmm. maybe kind of lumping you into something in the moment. And mm-hmm. it's much more important to, to follow your conscience. The med, I remember a word I used all the time in med school, which is resident dependent. How's the rotation? Oh, it's resident dependent. Yes, um, right. So I think that the experience of going through and making those decisions is very resident dependent. Yes. Um, it really depends on what resident you're working with, whether you're going to be okay and it's going to be, you know, not an issue at all, um, or whether it's going to be like, oh, well, I don't know what my grade for the day is, or I don't know what that evaluation mm-hmm. is going to look like. Um, That's so true. And you know, when I went on my had my OBGYN rotation, I had probably the, the resident who was the most opposite beliefs of me. I mean, mm. just like everything that I stood for, he was the opposite. <laughs> I was wow. like, this is just crazy. But it was, I think really because I saw someone who was so practicing OBGYN so far from how I saw was dignifying to women, it pulled me even more towards OBGYN, where I was like, okay, this is not how we're going to do this. <laughs> Maybe that's part of my there. personality, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're a fighter. So I think uh, that's that's interesting to know. So you, you spoke to the clerkship director, then you spoke to the faculty before the C-section, didn't always speak with the resident, but then did this very pragmatic, very clear, verbal, non-verbal communication and stepped away from the table and, you know, during Well, I would case. speak to the, it was the resident. So oh, okay. at every institution is different, mm-hmm. but in at where I was, you're, the re- medical student is you know, speaking to the resident most mm-hmm. of the time. And so I just tell the chief, like, hey, mm-hmm. I don't do tubals. And so I would just step away. Okay. Okay. Good. So besides those little awkward situations, nothing super controversial in med school. Yeah, no. Your, her face has a big like story on it. On the list, so I'm trying to bring this out. <laughs> I mean, it, nothing really more in the clerkship that was the, that mm-hmm. was really the most the most the more awkward situations mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. as a med student, you don't have to go to you know the abortion training and mm-hmm. um, for the REI that's reproductive endocrinology and infertility. Oh, that's the other thing I don't do. Like you know, I would obviously wouldn't do IVF and things like that. So as a med student, you're not doing any any of that, mm-hmm, and so it really mm-hmm. wasn't an issue. It wasn't until I started applying to residency that it started to get a little bit harder. There's more coming with our guest today, but did you know you can support Conscience and Residency? We always need short and long-term volunteers, podcast guests, and other support. Get in touch with us at conscienceandresidency at gmail.com to find out more. Now back to today's show.
So let's pick back up where we left off. So when you were applying to residency, things really started to become more serious as as people who disagreed with you started to evaluate, do we want to let this person with her beliefs into our profession? So tell me the story of um, sort of how those choices of yours, how you were received at your home institution, and then we'll talk about interview season. That is really when I started to see the tension. So as you're entering fourth year, you start to, you know, you've chosen the specialty you want to do, you start to gather all your application materials, start thinking about the interview process. And so, you know, I knew that there were things that I didn't want to do in residency because, you know, in residency, you'll be ultimately responsible for the prescriptions and all that. And so I was curious as to whether or not I should bring this up in interviews before the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, during the interview or after, like how, just logistically, how would I handle this? So mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, let me talk to the program director of OBGYN at my institution just to get advice as we start this. Like how much do I mention it in my application as I'm putting it together? And so when I met with her, I said, the, the deal, you know, I told her my whole thing. So I just wanted to see your advice on how I should handle this mm-hmm. uh, so that, you know, doors don't close prematurely. Right. She, and she, the first thing out of her mouth was, oh, doors are going to close. Oh my gosh. And I was like, Okay, can I keep them open like a little longer? Yeah, <laughs> like I asked you if there's anything that I can yes. do. I didn't ask you for a total prognostic oh, yeah. assessment yes. of how doomed I am. And imagine like a fourth year med student who's like so hopeful for her future, you know, mm-hmm. and like wanting to do a really good job. And so the second thing that that she said was, "Well, you can't come here." Mm. And I was like, "Wow, I I mean, you know nothing about me. Wow. I literally just met. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know my scores, my application. I haven't even made my application." Right. So it was like, just cut me down, like from the beginning. Right. Like, you know? this is enough criteria to know about you to make the, exactly. you should not become an OBGYN with us. Oh, and I, I, I never felt discriminated in my life until that very moment. Mm. You know, like discrimination didn't even seem like a thing that happened in the world. Mm. <laughs> and then in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, I guess, yes, there are certain people who just get treated differently. Basically, the whole, the end of the conversation was she was saying, you can go to these few small programs, faith-based faith-based programs, Mm -hmm. but that's pretty much your only hope, you know, going anywhere. So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, thanks for nothing. (laughs) I left. (laughs) Oh, dear. That's very tricky. That must have been a hard room to walk out of. Gosh. Yeah. Just ice cold, that whole conversation. It was. It was extremely not helpful. Mm. Yes. So that's what Conscience and Residency aims to do for those who are listening um, and who haven't been beneficiaries of our coaching, our free coaching, totally free to the med students. We charge donors to, to make sure we can meet <laughs> uh, make ends meet. But we try to help you know when should you mention these things? What programs should you apply to? How many programs should you apply to? How do you mention these things? How do, Literally, how do you get the words out of your mouth? What are the words mm-hmm. based on whatever your choices are going to be? And I'm sorry that it wasn't around for, for you and for me, yeah. um, but now it's around, which I'm glad for. Yeah. Because this advice that you were given was just uh, not helpful at all. Oh, yeah, not helpful. So you um, kind of had to figure this out for yourself, I imagine. Yeah, and, you know, the, the whole conversation didn't sit right with me. And so I thought, well, that obviously I should go somewhere where I deserve to go because of my merits. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to apply anywhere I want to. Okay. <laughs> so I was just like, whatever. I'm just going to do what I want. Okay. <laughs> Clearly, uh-huh. that's what I should do. Okay. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so I just I just researched programs on my own and just applied. Mm-hmm. And... I really took it as a case-by-case basis. We've talked about this, our different approaches to interviewing for residency. So I did case-by-case. So I applied, and as I got interviews, I'd never asked anyone before the interview Mm -hmm. about these issues. Some of them I asked 
during the interview, mm -hmm. if I had enough time with the program director, mm -hmm. I felt comfortable enough, like mm -hmm. the interview was going well, maybe I would bring it up. And then uh, some programs I never had to bring it up at all because I knew there was precedent in that program, mm -hmm. which was mm -hmm. nice. And then other programs that I thought, you know, it's a competitive program, it's it maybe a reach program for me, I won't bring it up until after the interview. I want them to, because mm -hmm. they usually they evaluate all the residents during interview day, maybe like that same day or the day after. And so I thought, well, I'll just let them do their evaluation, mm -hmm. be totally objective, mm -hmm. and then, you know, if I feel like things are going well after mm -hmm. the interview, then I'll maybe bring it up later. They're still high on my list. Yeah, yeah. So, so as not to burn bridges with prematurely right exactly right, right. so I took it as a case by case mm -hmm. yeah I think that's a really good approach that's the approach that we most commonly talk about with people who are being mentored at conscience and residency because it should be case by case not every program is the same mm -hmm. you're the same of course you know the the student the applicant is the same but mm -hmm. the programs are not all the same not every program you're gonna have the same rapport with during the interview day not every program has the same culture mm -hmm. I think sometimes when you go in an interview it's amazing how much you can see about mm -hmm. a place and sometimes you can perceive wow this culture totally would squash yes um, my happiness <laughs> right. my and choices some programs I never followed up because I was right. like oh I would be miserable there's here. no point. there's no hope yeah right. exactly right there's no point in saying further oh yeah. I'm even right. more different than you thought I was. right exactly exactly <laughs> um, so that's great so how did it go how did it go with saying what you what you were choosing, who you were in the program, in sorry, in the interview itself, and then the following up after? So how'd that go? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't remember. It's been so long now, mm -hmm. but um, I, I'll tell you that the program I ended up going to, it was the best interview because, mm. which you know, speaks to why I went there because mm -hmm. I went when I went there, I was able to speak to the program director at the time of, so I had enough time with him, mm -hmm. and so I I brought it up. I said, hey, you know, I, I'm. Catholic and I want to practice by my beliefs is that's is that okay with you with this program mm -hmm. that's literally how I said it word mm -hmm. for word so I looked at vague because mm -hmm. I said I want to practice by my beliefs he said of course why do I make you do anything you don't want to do wow and I was like oh uh, uh, like I didn't know what to say I was like well isn't that what people do like <laughs> right that's what people do Catholics yeah, did you know that sir yeah like uh, you know <laughs> so wow. it was awesome I mean it was like such a weight lifted off my shoulders mm -hmm. to where it's like oh I this this program is just yeah yeah just the right one. That's you. amazing. Wow. And did you have other similar experiences or that really stood out as the only one? That was the one that was most different than the other ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, other programs, it was a little bit of the same, like some of them I emailed afterward and they were like, well, let me get back to you. Or, um, I think it should be fine. You know, not very mm -hmm. convincing mm -hmm. answer. Mm -hmm. Just, and they're all busy too. And, right. Uh, right. And other ones, when I asked in the interview, they're like, I mean, I think maybe. <laughs> yeah, so, that's always a little so. bit concerning. Mm -hmm, I remember right. one program, I haven't shared with the listeners a whole bunch of detail about myself, but I remember one program um, saying, yeah, I think we can make that work. And then uh, I did some more postgraduate training at that program and now seeing the inside of it, or not now, in the mm -hmm. in the recent past seeing the inside of it, I was like, oh, I totally would not. <laughs> they were right. just like, they, I mean, out of, yeah. out of the goodwill of trying to be friendly and, right. and, uh, and yeah. making, maybe liking you as an applicant, yes. they will just say, oh yeah, we'll figure something out mm -hmm. without any concrete idea mm -hmm. of, it actually takes a lot of figuring out to make sure that a resident who's making a lot of choices about not doing contraception, not doing tubal ligations, that's a, that's a little bit of logistics, logistics right, yes. to work through. So let's talk about that. In, in your residency, how did you make this work? Okay, so in residency, people knew my beliefs from the get-go. Mm. I mean, it wasn't a secret to anybody. Mm -hmm. And so 
let's see, there's different scenarios. So I, I went to a residency that actually worked with a Catholic hospital system. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't do tubules anyway mm. for C-sections. So mm -hmm. that made mm -hmm. it nice. Uh -huh. um, I won't get into the details, but overall did new tubules for C-sections. Mm -hmm. So that made, that took out, that was the most complicating factor, I would oh, say. Oh, okay. Because that would put a lot of work onto other residents. Exactly. Because it's like C-sections on, on busy labor and delivery. Right, you know, you right. don't want to do tubules. So anyhow, so that one took out that complicating factor. When it came to contraception, for example, in clinic, if mm -hmm. I had someone who was going to be an IUD insertion, mm -hmm. I would just say to my co-resident in clinic, like, hey, can I take your complicated OB patient? You mm -hmm. can do this IUD. And right. they're like, oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, I will trade that any day. So mm -hmm. I think my philosophy going in to residency was, one, I wanted them to have nothing to complain about about me besides the fact I don't do these things. Right. So I wanted to be the best resident that I'd ever seen. Mm -hmm. And two, I wanted to take on me taking on more work like that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. would would ameliorate it, yeah exactly mm -hmm, unfortunately mm -hmm. you have to kind of yeah. make up for those quote deficiencies that you have and right. so if someone sees it as not as a burden because oh well just do that but she'll take on my complicated ob patient right. then it makes it a little bit less disconcerting to them right and i think too it helps the faculty understand my experience was the more extra stuff that I did to kind of make sure that I wasn't dumping work on my co-residents, mm -hmm. the more they understood, oh, this is how these people do it out in practice. They take parts of the, the burden of obstetrics and gynecology off of our shoulders mm -hmm. in a way that makes sense for them. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know what their imagination of my future career was, mm -hmm. but <laughs> in my future career was going to be a lot like my residency, maybe a little different right in the logistics, mm -hmm. but I, we're not prescribing contraception right now. We're not doing abortions right now, but we're lifting weight on, on the, the total load of the amount of OBGYN to do in this country. Mm -hmm. And we can do that without doing these things. Right. And, you know, we'll talk about more, we'll talk more about that in a little bit when we talk about your work now, but back to residency. So did everything always go swimmingly in residency? I remember there being a rocky period. Yes. So the the hardest time was in OBGYN residency. I don't know how much you've talked about this on the podcast, but you know, there's the requirement, the family planning requirement. Mm -hmm. So you have to go through certain rotations on in OBGYN residency, and one of them now is the family planning rotation where you learn abortion, contraception, etc. They've changed it to opt. Uh, opt out. out. Mm -hmm. It was opt in and now it's opt out. So I'm just okay, going to say so some clarifying yes. details for the listeners who aren't familiar with this. So the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology and the American College of Graduate Medical Education um, have decided that all OBGYN residents should have experience in family planning. Not complex family planning, which is the fellowship after OBGYN, which does late-term uh, abortions and other things like that, but in family planning such that a generalist, they think, should provide. So that's contraception, medically complicated contraception, that's early uh, termination of pregnancy, and other non-advanced DNE termination of pregnancy. So that's a requirement. Now, they have this option where you can say, oh, I don't want to do that requirement because of beliefs. That is already written into all of this. It used to be that you had to opt in to this family planning rotation, and that was deemed as sort of very favorable to people with beliefs and conscience-related choices that didn't want to do abortions. That was favorable because the default was not to train people to do abortions in many programs, and you had to opt in to go get that extra training. Things have changed now. It's now opt-out 
functionally for many residents, it feels very similar, right? Mm -hmm. You sit down, I sat down as a class with my co-interns and my program director said, okay, here's the deal. This is the piece of paper. You check one of the boxes and you sign it and that's your opt-in or opt-out. I'm not sure he even knew which one it was, (laughs) Um, but that's, and that's fine because it feels very similar, but the the philosophy of it is a little different. Now you're by default, you're doing abortion training in OBGYN residency, even if it's early, you know, suction DNCs and you have to opt out. You have to go out of your way to say, no, I do not want this. So that we're gonna sorry, that's just a little detail, a little background for those who might not have heard the nuance of opt-in, opt-out, and that this is in fact on the books a requirement. Yes, thank you for clarifying that. So so you know, I told the story of how I had the interview with the program director at this program, loved it. I mean, it just felt so reassured. And that being said, like six months before I started, so I'm already matched, they hire a new chair <laughs> and a, a basically a, someone else who will eventually take over as program director mm. and she is family planning trained a fellowship mm-hmm. trained and the chair anyway long story short very pro-abortion mm-hmm. and so it was like the program I was walking into was like not the program morphing I into exactly, different morphing, yeah. exactly and so they had now one of their goals was to make the family planning rotation more robust mm. you know more formal all of the things mm-hmm. so the family planning rotation was built into our second year okay. of residency. So then I I knew before going, so my time comes to take the rotation. Mm-hmm. It's built into the schedule. Mm-hmm. Before going, I'd known that there were a couple of residents years before me who had tried to opt out mm-hmm. but were denied. Oh, wow. And so I said, well, I don't, I don't know how much they tried to opt out. Before, it was also a little bit loose. Like, you know, sometimes the residents show up, sometimes they wouldn't to the plan care. Oh, okay. Anyway, so I was like, okay, well, the person right before me had gotten denied and so then I said okay well uh, maybe I'll go I'll see Mm -hmm. what it's like maybe I can do some good and then we'll go from there so I went the first day and the first I sat with the counselor Mm -hmm. who women come in they get counseled on you're supposed to get counseled on their options Mm -hmm. and this is how the counseling went they said well here it pointed to the corner of the desk. Here's a packet. It explains parenting and adoption. You can take it if you want to, but it's just right there. But let's talk about the abortion that's right for you. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Mm. You know, like we're trained in residency to, to explain all the risks, mm-hmm. benefits, and alternatives of mm-hmm. any procedure. Mm-hmm. I mean, they emphasize it so much for a hysterectomy, you know, and my mm-hmm. everything. Even if the patient is like, oh, no, no, doc, I want my hysterectomy. I want this. Yes. I exactly. want my IUD. You still yes. are supposed to go through all the risks, benefits, and alternatives. Exactly. Something that's ethical. Right. Right. So they can make an informed decision, mm-hmm. right? You're supposed to inform. And so I said, okay, well, I don't want to do that. That's clearly not something that I'm going to participate in. Mm-hmm. And so then I said, okay, well, let's, I'll do the ultrasound. Let me show mm-hmm. these women their babies. Mm-hmm. And so when I did the ultrasound, you know, I'm the actual one holding the probe, mm-hmm. but my attending is behind me doing the talking. Like, mm. she won't let me do the talking. And so this is, as I'm scanning the baby, she says, okay, you're, you're definitely making the right decision. You know, carrying a baby to the term is 14 times more risky than having an abortion. So it's it's definitely the right decision. Mm. But don't worry, you're gonna do, be great or do fine or whatever it is. And so I was like, okay, this I just, I can't, I can't do this, obviously. Mm. And it was funny because we walked out of the room and the attending, who was my program director, she mm. said, so Ashley, and they all know my student, mm-hmm. Ashley, how are you doing? Like, are you doing okay? Is this, is everything? I said, no. Mm. But then she didn't know what to say. It was like, oh she, my gosh, she wasn't expecting It was like no. she was surprised that I said no. Mm. <laughs> I was like, what else did you think I was gonna say? Wow. And so uh, she said, okay, well, 
let me know what I can do. I was like, oh my God. thanks. <laughs> wow. So then in the afternoon, the abortions happened in the afternoon. So obviously mm-hmm. everyone who has wasn't going to do that. And other people weren't, didn't do that when they went there. So that wasn't mm-hmm. like a surprise. Mm-hmm. So they had me just clean the chairs in the recovery room. I was like, this is just not what I came to OBGYN residency to do. Mm-hmm. So then I emailed the program director the next day and I said, you know, with all due respect, I must continue to opt out of this and I'm emailing you to find out what my alternatives are for those days that I go to Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. And her response was, uh, well, how, do we, how about we meet and talk about it? So I went and met with her and she mm-hmm. said, hey, I, I understand that you want to opt out, but that's, that's actually not an option here. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have to go. You have to at least go. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, well, I, I don't want to go. She said, well, why don't you want to go? I said, well, I don't want to scan babies who are going to die the next day. Mm. And it was like she didn't know what to say to that. She was like, okay, well, (laughs) you Mm. know, like, I guess maybe it never occurred to her. Anyway, so we kind of went back and forth. She had the ACGME, like, document in Mm -hmm, front of her. mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well, I'm just not going. Mm -hmm. And so she said, okay, well, if you really don't want to go, you'll have to meet with with the chair. Mm. I said, okay, I'll meet with the chair. Mm -hmm. So she set up that meeting and I'm I'm like a second year resident, Mm -hmm. you know, like as a, as a resident, you want to do your job. You Mm want to do it well. You don't want to get in trouble. You just want to put your head down and do your work. Right. Not be controversial. Oh, not yeah. make waves. Yeah, exactly. It goes against this whole idea of like, let me just cruise through without people complaining about That's me. That's right. Which I think most residents, not even the ones who are all controversial like us, most residents want to do that. That's Keep right. Keep your head exactly. down. Nose to the grindstone until it's over. Yes. Um, so yeah, I don't. I think that's important for listeners who aren't in medical training to understand how uncomfortable this is. And I think as an analogy, our society has shown, uh, has, has sort of shined some good light on how hard it is for people who are suffering with their mental health to do the hard work of calling, making appointments, getting insurance, da 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 da. It's like a lot of work for them to have to climb up all the rungs to get the treatment that they need. Mm-hmm. Analogously, a resident who is in a very vulnerable, powerless position for a, you know, for someone to be putting things in front of you like, well, you have to physically go. Well, you have to meet the chair. Well, you have to do it instead of saying, well, the next step would be this. The next step would be this. The understanding is this. Instead of saying, let me lay out the, the you know, the paving stones in front of you, even if I disagree with you, that's one attitude. Mm-hmm. And the attitude it sounds like that you met with was, well, here's the next impediment. Mm-hmm. Good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it would be helpful if our society had the same understanding of how just like residents you know, just like people with mental health need help getting mm-hmm. to those next rungs on the way to their treatment, mm-hmm. residents of conscience just need even the most passive help to get to the next step to do what they're, ex, you know, expected to do mm-hmm. as part of their training. Because if we're expected to do certain things, we should, and mm-hmm. we will, and you did. So mm-hmm. how did you do? What, what happened next? Okay, so so they set up the meeting mm-hmm. with the chair. Mm-hmm. So I go there, I ask... So this goes to advice. I, I asked my... So we have, like, a mentor, mm-hmm. a faculty mentor. Okay. Who, you know, I, I mean, God is good. Like, I, I just picked her because I liked her. And uh-huh. it turns out she's pro-life. No like, way. Oh, thank God. Wow. <laughs> so I, at, knowing that, I asked, hey, can you come with me to this? She's like, oh, sure. I mean, so she was just kind of my, another person in the room that just mm-hmm. made me feel better. Like, because mm-hmm. I'm this lowly second year resident yeah, meeting with a chair. Nobody. Yeah, exactly. And so it was really nice to just have her there. Mm-hmm. I met with her and she said, well, Ashley, you know, you these are the objectives for this rotation mm-hmm. that you have to meet. So mm-hmm. this is why we need you to go to Planned Parenthood because mm-hmm. you have to meet these objectives. Mm-hmm. 
And so I said, okay, well, can I see them? (laughs) And so I went through the list and I said, okay, well, I can get this at this clinic. I can get this at this clinic. I get this over here with uh, abortion. I don't do those, so that's not a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it looks like I can get these other places. Mm -hmm. And so then at that point she said, okay, well, if you can come with a come up with a curriculum yourself, I'll consider it. Mm. And so I said, "Sure, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do whatever then, it takes." You know, it's like you're asking the learner to come up with her own curriculum. Mm-hmm. But you know, at that point, I was like, "Sure, absolutely, I will do that." And mm-hmm. so I, th- I thought of it also as an opportunity. Okay, well, sure, great. I can, you know, incorporate a pregnancy resource center, like make mm-hmm. a whole new curriculum mm-hmm. for residents so that they can see fertility awareness methods. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those things. So I make this curriculum over the weekend yeah really rapidly to, <laughs> I didn't realize how real time this was I'm supposed to go to the Planned Parenthood like that next Tuesday oh I think. so I make this whole curriculum and then so it comes to like it's like Monday night mm-hmm. we haven't heard back from the chair because mm. I emailed her the curriculum right away mm-hmm. and my program director emailed and said okay we haven't heard back from the chair so I'll, I'll just see you tomorrow morning at Planned Parenthood and so I waited until literally the morning of mm-hmm and I emailed back and I said, with all due respect, I won't be there. I will be at this clinic until you tell me where to go. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and so I went to that, I went to the Pregnancy Resource Center and then I get this like call from the uh, oh, administration scary. at the, so they're scary. like, get, get out of there. You can't be there. Like that's not an approved site. To, like it mm-hmm. was like an emergency for me to leave this Pregnancy Resource Center. So they had me come to the offices and they just said, okay, well, you're going to do reading for the whole day that you're supposed to be at Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. So that was my, like, I did eight hours of reading right. in the office. That was their idea of a curriculum. Yeah, yeah, exactly, for my Planned Parenthood days. Mm. Okay, so then that ends, and long story short, well, okay, so time goes on, mm-hmm. and that rotation ends, mm. I get, out, get through it. Okay. Nothing happens with this curriculum, you know, I'm like, okay, well, what was what, that for? Yeah, whatever, like. So then, you know, that was second year. Then fourth year, I'm a chief. Mm-hmm. I'm, I remember I'm sitting in the OB call room uh-huh. or, uh, or the checkout room. Yep. And I get a call from the chair. And I missed the call because we were checking out. Mm-hmm. So I sat on my phone. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like when the chair calls you, you're it's always a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's always so <laughs> horrifying and scary. So I, like, oh, so I called her back right away. And she, <laughs> like like minutes later, I called mm-hmm, back. Mm-hmm. She said, I said, hi, doctor. Uh you called me? She said, oh, yes. Uh, I wasn't expecting you to call. I was like, well, you called me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes. Uh, so she said, you know, actually, I was thinking, we really need to make that curriculum happen. Oh, my gosh. I was like, two well, years late. Huh? Y- yes, absolutely. Wow. Let's do it. So anyhow, there was. this is also advice to the listeners is that, we. I mean, it takes a village because – in the background of all of this struggle, you know, during my second year struggle, that there were other faculty that came out. This is okay. Sorry, I'm kind of broken here, but the when I'm going through the struggle, it's all the other. It's like all the other faculty because they heard my story. Mm. They would come up to me and be like, "Hey, Ashley, we, we support you. Just keep doing what you're doing." It's like all these faculty I didn't know were pro-life mm-hmm. were like coming, coming out, out to me, coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> yes, coming out of the woodwork, and I was like, "Oh man, like." other people agree with me. And so it was really mm-hmm. empowering, mm-hmm. I think, for both me and them, mm-hmm. too. And then I had one faculty who was, you know, higher up, who was pr- very, very pro-life. And he, I think, worked some uh, channels, you know, mm-hmm. on the admin side. Mm-hmm. And I think that really pressured her. Wow. We had the founder of the pro-life clinic there. He was 
formerly in that Texas house. Wow. And so he knows people and he escalated it to the point where we met with Cecilia Abbott and talked about it. Whoa. I mean, it was, it was really takes a village to, to do all this. And so he, um, anyhow, I think all of those things together, all those things happening in the background, things that I don't even know happened, like mm-hmm, went on in the mm-hmm, background, mm-hmm. ended up in her saying me in this curriculum. Wow. So, oh, so it's percolating over all exactly. the two years between your rotation and you being a senior and her terrifying phone call. Yeah, that's right. It okay. actually wasn't very terrifying. Yeah, it was great. It was um, great. <laughs> all that stuff is happening as a crescendo in the background. That's right. That's a okay. good way to put it. Yes. So I think that that's a great thing for faculty listeners to take from this is don't, don't be coming out of the woodwork when this is sudden. It's, and you know, that might happen. That'd be a bummer though, because then the, the poor resident who's in so vulnerable has had to go through all this to make you realize, oh, shoot, we need more support for this in my institution. Mm-hmm. And you probably know where you are and how, how your institution might need more support for this kind of thing. But if you're in a community program and you have a supportive chair, it might be worthwhile to say, hey, I was listening to a podcast. Hey, I read an article online. And I think we just need to make space for people who are a little bit like me, you know, and, mm-hmm. and describe a little bit about yourself. You know, I think a faculty member has a hard job, right? You know, and it's a it's a hard one position you have, and it's potentially putting a lot on the line to disclose that of yourself. But think the residents are doing that in their interview season. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, as a still trainee myself, I beg you, please think about disclosing if you are a pro life or or you know faculty of conscience, disclose that ahead of where you are in a catastrophe with residents. Mm-hmm. That way, it doesn't have to take two years. That way, you don't have a resident who might capitulate. You know, who might be a little less pugilistic than Dr. Womack and say, well, okay, then I'm fine. I'll, I'll, I'll be a Planned Parenthood. Okay. All mm-hmm. right. And then right. they just kind of get, you know, drawn into something that they didn't initially want to do because they didn't have enough support. So I think for faculty, that's a powerful, powerful thing that you can do ahead of a catastrophe to declare what you're like to the chair, to make space for residents of conscience at your institution. That's right. Because I, I think most residents would have just said, you know, bow their head down and say, okay, well, I just got to get through this rotation, which it makes total sense because Mm -hmm. there's such a power dynamic. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're dependent on your faculty for letters of rec, for, Mm -hmm. you know, connections for a job afterwards. And and for turning you in from from a fourth-year med student into a faculty. Yeah, that's right. I think it's important that we not, you know, sound too, and this is not a critique of you, it's important that I and this conversation not sound too upset with the power dynamic because Mm -hmm. it's it's just. It's there for a reason. Because they have the knowledge that they're pouring into you. They're doing that at personal expense, right? Mm -hmm. They're paid Mm -hmm. as academic faculty, which is rough, and they're they're spending all this extra time to basically have a second patient population, which is the learners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think the power dynamic is has roots in reality, but it just has these unwanted effects mm-hmm. where people can't speak up about things that are controversial. That's right. I hope you're enjoying our show today. You might be excited to hear we've updated our website listing resources for those who choose not to offer gender hormone therapy in pediatric patients, and we'll be talking about a few of them soon. Now, back to today's show. So picking back up where we left off, once you got that call from your chairman about the curriculum, what happened next with that curriculum and, and with your residency? Yeah. Okay. So after that, we got the ball rolling. So I wow. met with the, the clinic there, the pro-life clinic, and said, oh, hey, hey, we have a green light. Like, let's get this thing going. So mm-hmm. we just started designing the curriculum a little bit better and mm-hmm. got more specific on the days and the rotation and the readings and all of that. So then we had to, the, we, this was super fascinating because we had the faculty from the pro-life clinic and the founder of the pro-life clinic in uh-huh. the same room as 
my oh. abortion trained program director oh, wow. and other abortionists in the Whoa. family planning rotation in the same room trying to plan a pro-life track <laughs> or at least like a you know an alternative we call it an alternative track to the wow. family planning rotation so it was super interesting to be in because you know i, I kind of knew the the motivations of both mm-hmm, sides mm-hmm. having known the one who knows both sides kind yeah, of equally. Right, right, right. So it was really fascinating to hear. But ultimately, we made the curriculum, and the year after I graduated, we had an intern st- start, and she did the alternative curriculum. So we had one. Wow. And then, so that was great, and it's awesome. And she was super grateful to have that. And then since then, you know, we've had overturning of Dobbs, and mm-hmm, now there's no, mm-hmm. so it, I think the rotation is, well, anyway. I won't get into the details of the rotation now. Yeah, so. but I think it's interesting that you've, in your story, you've had people who plowed the way for you, mm-hmm. and then you've plowed the way for someone else. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I think it, it's it's part of all of our jobs to try and make space for the next person who might need us to have done that. Yeah. So then after residency, you graduated, and you moved on and did, you did Mix Fellowship. That's right. Um, how'd that go? Oh, it's great. I mm-hmm. love Mix Fellowship. Oh, Minimally great. invasive gynecologic surgery for those. Okay. Yes. Thank so you. I did. Yes, I did that. And I mean, there you have fewer incidents that, you know, uh, violate your conscience, I would say. So it really wasn't as one as, as bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then I want to hear about after fellowship. So I think that the, where the rubber really meets the road is, you know, you go through residency. That's really hard. Probably the hardest thing. You become board certified. Mm-hmm. That's important. Maybe not as hard as mm-hmm. residency. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to go get a job, right? Yes. And a lot of people, I think, are surprised to know that, you know, OBGYNs who don't do abortion, sterilization, contraception, you know, plus or minus other things, they, they get jobs and they are busting at the seams. Mm-hmm. Um, how was your experience in getting a job? Yes. So when I was, you know, in my last year of fellowship, I'm looking, I know I'm wanting to move to Dallas. So I'm looking at different practices where, you know, I'm looking at generalist practices mm-hmm. and I'm saying, okay, well, I've got this edge because I've got two years of fellowship training. I can mm-hmm. really bring that to a generalist practice. That's my kind of one up, you know, given mm-hmm. these quote deficiencies of not yeah. providing these things. So I apply to um, three different places. Mm-hmm. I actually get offers from all three. Oh, nice. Which is great, trying mm-hmm. to break into the Dallas market. And then it gets down to you know talking about the details of the contract. Mm-hmm. And so each one of them, I'd ask the question, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't do these things. Is that okay with y'all? Mm-hmm. And all three took back their offer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so wow. then here I am like, Migs trained, mm-hmm. trying to find a job in mm-hmm. Dallas, and can't find one because I've had three rescinded offers. Wow. And so I contact a pro-life clinic here, mm-hmm. uh, very small. It was just two providers at the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, I know you're a small practice, but any chance you want to take me on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they could be great. Yeah, you bring a lot to the table. <laughs> right. And so... Thanks be to God and thanks to them that they took me on and mm-hmm. it's been a real blessing since That's then. fantastic. That's fantastic. And I, I think it's a tragedy that practices would say no to your training and no to your, you know, vim and vigor of a early attending just because you can't do certain things. And another practice can see through the haze and say, oh, that's not going to be a big issue, right? Mm-hmm. She brings more assets than things she, you know, leaves behind. Oh, yeah. And I, try, I definitely tried to sell it. I was like, look, I ha- I'm trained in fertility awareness-based methods. I can provide that for patients. Mm-hmm. I got mixed training. Mm-hmm. I will, you know, there's definitely a market there for people who want the, you know, endometriosis excisions mm-hmm. and like I will definitely have patients. I will bring right. patients to your practice. Mm-hmm. But 
the fact that I didn't do those other things, just right. there was no getting past that. Right. I think it's a, it's an unfortunate impediment because they're not able to, I don't know, you and I grew up in like a very Catholic sphere. We know mm-hmm. these Catholic clinics where people are practicing according to their beliefs and the patients are, are going to those physicians wanting them for their beliefs mm-hmm. and others who haven't grown up in that sphere, they're just not aware of that mm-hmm. part of the map, mm-hmm. part of the market, you know, to use your word. So yeah, I think that's, it's an important thing to talk about with our listeners because I think oftentimes there's doubt about, you know, can I get a job if I don't do these things? Then oftentimes there's reassurance from like the church lady and like the yeah. Catholic conference. Oh, no, 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 no. You'll be able to get a job. Yes. We have this job for you in rural Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, and you're like, oh, will I actually be able to get a job though? Like right. where I want to live and, mm-hmm. and support my family and not make like, you know, medical director of a PRC salary. Like, yes. <laughs> um, and I think the answer is yes, but but with some challenges mm-hmm. as you've experienced. Yes. Um, or yes, but you, you kind of self-select into a, you know, an area that provides more of that care to these people mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, more training and you do things that, you know, are mm-hmm. not meeting with your conscience as much. So thank you so much for sharing so much about yourself oh, and about your course. journey. I want to know, you know, what, when someone comes to you for advice saying, oh, I want to walk the path you walked, how do I do it? What do you say? Okay. Lots of advice. Mm-hmm. I would say first, like we talked about in the beginning, form your conscience. Mm-hmm. Learn what you do and don't believe and why and be able to articulate it. So that mm-hmm. you, one, that means you have a clear understanding of it. And then two, if someone asks you, you have a clear explanation and can be articulate with what you believe. So it doesn't mm-hmm. sound like it's just a whim that you right. are. Well, some Pope said this and uh, my parents raised me this. And, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. You're just a sheep, you know, which. Right. So, um, so that's one is to learn your faith and be formed. Mm-hmm. Um, two is to get advice from people who've done it before you. Mm-hmm. So have a network of people around you, mm-hmm. have attendings who can mentor you, even if they don't believe the same things, just have someone who can, you can bounce ideas off of, Hey, how should I handle this situation? Like really in the weeds, how mm-hmm. do I logistically go about doing this? Mm-hmm. And like I was talking about when I had the issues with Planned Parenthood, it really took a whole community of people mm-hmm. behind me, supporting me to help me get through that and have a successful outcome. Mm-hmm. So it really takes finding those people, you know, being close to people with the same beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, those would be my biggest yeah. piece of advice. That's a scary thing to do when you're a resident trying to kind of like you come out, so to speak, you know, you used that word earlier. Yeah. You, you kind of disclose, you know, <laughs> what your choices are, what your beliefs are almost before these faculty members. So faculty, again, please make it, make it easier for these residents by, you know, just drop some hints in your office, you know, hang oh, something yeah. that says Catholic, Put a put a you know Christian Medical and Dental Association something somewhere yes. put a Bible somewhere. These are easy ways that you can make it easy for a student to know who is in their corner. Oh, and believe me, as a student and a resident, if you go into an, a doctor of uh, one of the attendings' offices, mm-hmm. you notice all those things. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, she had a rosary on her desk. Right. I, I wonder if she's I'm going to talk to her. I wonder, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And when, you, when each time I found someone who mm-hmm. was supportive, or they revealed to me that they're also pro-life, mm-hmm. it was like a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. because you feel like you're drowning. And then finally, someone takes you above water for a little bit, and you're like, oh, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And then you start swimming again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's wow. It's really really helpful. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that um, our our co-residents and colleagues on the other side, you know, their, their offices are decorated with all kinds of, you know, signs of what they think and, and right. they want to support each other as well. So why shouldn't we, um, exactly. you know, be behind each other and be with each other? Has your advice to people changed since our culture has changed? In the past 10 years since you and I have mm-hmm. begun this journey, our culture has done a big a big shift on a couple of major mm-hmm. issues that now affect OB residents that didn't affect us, mm-hmm. right? You know, transgender care. Um, a lot of differences in the, the tone in residency with, that abortion mm-hmm. is, is treated with, right? Before it was kind of like this 
this thing that oh is offered and it's it's normal but mm -hmm. you can opt out mm -hmm. and now it's healthcare we should be proud of it we should be offering it we should be advocates for it right mm -hmm. and if you don't want to do it because of some repulsion you're like oh that's tolerable but it's a good thing that someone else will do it geez if you won't Sheesh. so the, the tone has shifted the culture has shifted has your advice shifted I don't think my advice has shifted, mm -hmm. but I think you have to just really be well grounded mm -hmm. in everything that you believe. And I only say my advice hasn't shifted because I think, you know, I was going to say that I would tell someone to just be more bold because if, if they're going to be more bold, you just have to match that. Mm. But at the same time, that's also coming from my perspective now as an attending. I'm mean, like, well, mm. I'm just going to tell people, well, who cares? <laughs> like, yeah. No one can affect me now. Uh -huh. But I get it. When you're a resident, like, mm. you don't want to make waves. I mean, you're just, you're just there to do your job. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, be bold. Be mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Speak the truth mm -hmm. in, a t in a tactful way, in a natural way, in a way that's appealing. Mm -hmm. But it, it, you will never regret speaking the truth. Yeah. You may regret not later, mm -hmm. but you'll never regret speaking the truth. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for telling us your whole story. Oh, thanks um, for having me. Multiple aspects of this story. I think it's so instructive for people to think about some of the things you've uniquely brought out, which is forming your conscience, articulating things, and the community, whether hidden or out in the open, that we can build and that should, should be around all these residents and students who are making decisions based on their consciences. Thanks for listening to Casting Conscience, a podcast of conscience and residency, a 501c3 that supports uh, medical trainees of conscience who are making choices based on their strongly held beliefs. You're not crazy and you're not alone. I've been your host, Kara Buskmiller, and my uh, guest has been Dr. Ashley Womack, an OBGYN in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Join us next time for another conversation choosing aspects of your medical practice based on your conscience. Mm -hmm.